You good? Well, I'm very excited about the message this morning because Kenny's already kicked it off for me. I just love that. Who loved that authorised driver? Who, that was amazing. That's exactly what I'm going to be talking about this morning. That The person who, who is qualified, actually it was qualified, wasn't it, Kenny? Qualified driver. We're going to be getting into that in a little bit, um, exactly what you were talking about over communion. You know when God's saying something, when he tells different people at the same time, you go, oh, yeah, I think God's onto something. God's trying to tell him something. Our theme for the year has been go. So that's the theme for the year. The alternative title uh, for this year's theme is how to find God's perfect plan for your life. Because my plan for my life definitely wasn't perfect, but I can tell you God's is. And that's because he's the qualified driver, the designated driver. Um, and I've been really enjoying this series. And I feel like even in this series that I've, I feel personally I'm being transformed, personally, as, as, our, as God speaks to me, and then I get to share that with you. I feel I'm being transformed. I feel like our worship is being transformed. I think our worship has become more lively, even as this, this series goes on. Uh, I think it's, it's become tangible. I love what's happening with this whole series. We've been talking about Go and the life of Moses. Um, and, and, and sometimes, as I've said before, sometimes God just sort of speaks through the message and there's something that's in there that we don't realize is a bit of a phrase for the year. We sometimes come up with a phrase for the year as well. And throw that one up for, for me, Timmy, because probably three or four weeks ago, this came out um, in the preaching and it turned out to be, I think this is one of the things God's saying to us this year. And so it's going to be our phrase for the year. It is your culture, not your circumstance that determines your outcome. So don't blame your circumstance. Change your culture. And uh, we'll be touching on that a little bit again this morning. Last week was teachability is everything, if you're here. Um, and the sermon was entitled, Just Like a Horse. I got a phone call from about four or 500 kilometers away. might have even been further. Someone was listening to the message and rang me up. They just wanted to find out some more about what we're doing here in Rome. So isn't that great? The word of is like reaching out different places. Um, and that message was, um, a, was talking about the direct correlation between our humility and our teachability. There's a direct, quali- um, direct correlation between our teachability and our humility. So just a few thoughts for that message before I get into this week. Moses was educated just enough to know he didn't know everything. He was educated just enough to know that he didn't know everything. And humility isn't hiding Humility isn't hiding. It's actually the warrior stance. Thy will be done. That's what humility says. Humility says, thy will be done. It presents itself to God. And uh, just one other thought. In any area of my life, Jesus would be doing it different to me. I understand I'm ripping myself off. I'll say that again. Any area of my life that I reckon Jesus would be doing it a little bit different to me, I need to understand that I'm ripping myself off. And if you want proofs behind any of those statements, you can check out last week's message on Spotify, Google, iTunes, wherever. Um, We've got you covered there. The title of this morning's message is My Thing, His Thing. My Thing, His Thing. All right, we'll pray. Lord God, I just thank you again for your presence in the house. I thank you that you do speak to us. I thank you that you've already been speaking to us. And Lord God, I just unpack what I feel that you're saying to, to us this morning. I pray that you just bring clarity to our minds. You know, sometimes that fog that just clouds out revelation, I pray that it's just gone in Jesus' name. That as I speak these words this morning, you'll bring clarity of mind to each one of us so we can hear loud and clear what you're saying to us as individuals and corporately in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in Exodus 3, uh, reading from 1 to 10. We'll start there again this morning, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, this is a story of Moses and the burning bush. This is when Moses got called in, into the ministry, if you like. So here we are, verse, uh, chapter 3, Exodus, verse 1. One day, 
Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led this flock far into the wilderness and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And in verse 2, there... Now, you know what, I was journaling. We're just going to stop there for a second because I was journaling this this week. And I know some of you guys, with your journaling, you go, oh, well, if this is where the preaching is, we're going to journal from that spot in the preaching. And so anyway, I thought oh, I'd do that as well. So I've been journaling through Exodus. And then I got to the passage um, probably two weeks ago where um, we are right now, chapter 3. And I, I journaled the first verse, and I didn't get past the first word. Well, verse two words, one day. I got one, oh, I was like, wow, God's speaking. Two words, one day. Anyway, so the next day... I journaled the next verse, verse 2, and I didn't get past the word there. God speaks to you, eh? If you, if you step towards God, he'll speak to you. And what happened? So I was journaling, and I just, this word there, and a principle that jo- I heard John Bevere taught me really 20 years ago um, just, came to, just came to my mind. This whole idea of there, and I'm thinking, you know what, when Moses got called into the ministry, or when Moses heard from God in this moment, he wasn't like at a in church, he wasn't at a crusade, Billy Graham wasn't preaching, you know, there wasn't a thousand voice choir, he was at work. He was just at work doing his thing. And God spoke to him, and it was just there. That's where he was, and that's where God turned up. But here's the thought I had: I thought, you know what? If I'm humble and I'm right before God, God can talk to me anywhere. You know, I don't have to be here this morning. I don't have to be, you know, my life group. And God will always speak to me. But then there's a flip side to that thought as well. And this is the thing that John Bevere brought out really well 20 years ago. If I can hear from God anywhere, if I can hear from him in the mundane, if I can hear from him at work, if I can hear from him through a movie I'm watching on TV, um, but I can't hear from God in meetings like this, or I can't hear from God in my journaling, or God's not speaking to me today, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. So I was, I was thinking, you know what? We just got to know and we got to make sure, and we talked about it last week. When our heart is humble and right before him, we'll hear from God anywhere and everywhere. Anyway, back to the journey. I just thought I'd share that with you as a bit of an aside. So that was, that was as far as I got into verse 2, there. And that's what God spoke to me. Hey, if I'm not hearing from God in a place like this, there's something seriously wrong. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And this is amazing, Moses said to himself. And, and that's the thing, church. If you're in the presence of God, it gets amazing. right? If it's not amazing for you, maybe you're not in the presence of God. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. Smart man. And in verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming, and take note of the I could journal when actually there too if I wanted to. Verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied. We might even just leave it there for this week because we're going to be talking from verse 4. When, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. This is a big thought for you this morning. This is a big thought for me because if you don't hear anything else this morning, I don't care how you came into the building, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. God won't stop you from doing your own thing. God won't stop you from doing your own thing. 
I had someone ring me just this week, and they're you know ministering to a group of people, and you know they'd been sharing some of the stuff we've been sharing here, to be honest. And then someone's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's all good for you, but I'm so busy." Really? Well, there's a reason you're busy, mate. God won't stop you doing your own thing. God didn't stop Moses. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that for the Moses to understand that the bush wasn't being in God, I've. You know, you lit lots of fires and in the scrub and all sorts of stuff. In fact, just last year, we were doing a massive backburn in the Northern Territory that I got to be involved in. I've seen plenty of bushes on fire. And let me tell you this, you've got to be there for quite a while before you realize the thing isn't burning. Correct. How long was Moses there before he realized that it wasn't burning? I would suggest quite a while. So he was there for ages and God was silent. Why was God silent? Because Moses was doing his own thing. It wasn't until Moses stopped what he was doing and approached the fire that God spoke. Trust me, church, God won't stop you from doing your own thing. And I can't help but think if Moses didn't approach the fire, that never ends. If he didn't get there, he never hears from God. We're not reading about it today. While he was just content to watch from a distance, a lot of us are good at at that. While he was content to watch from a distance, his life remained a disappointment. Remember, we've talked about his life before. We talked about he was this prince in Egypt. He was the elect to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and rescue them from freedom. He did it his own way. All fell apart. And so you get this prince of, the, prince of Egypt. In fact, I read recently that some think at some point in his life he was actually Pharaoh-elect. I don't know if that's true or not. He was that close to being the most powerful person in the entire world. And when we picked up his story here, he's a shepherd in the wilderness hiding thousands of miles from his destiny. You've got to understand, he knew that was a disappointment. Don't worry about that. Yep, saw the fire. Was right there while it was burning. And then I went home. What an uninspiring story. What an uninspiring story to watch the fire burn and then go home and never approach the fire of God for yourself. Because people never approach, they don't have an experience of God. They don't get to hear God say, you might be saying, well, God's never said, hey, Moses, Moses, to me, maybe you've never approached the fire. I'll never forget a youth camp many years ago. This young fellow, he's probably roughly, if I could, had to guess, 15 years old, grew up in the church been in church before he was in church, you know what I mean? 15 years of doing what we're doing right now. And I remember being at this youth camp, and it was many years ago. Um, and I just I happened to have the mic at the time. I said, you know what, just reach out to God now. Just say exactly what Moses did here. Say, just approach the fire of God and say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Completely changed this kid's life. Because he'd been there watching the show for 15 years and never approached the fire. How many of us are like that? That's a tragedy. It's a tragedy if that's you. An absolute tragedy. Because once you encounter God, everything changes. You know, you can know about God, you know, and hear about God. But until you approach the fire, you can watch it burn for a distance for a million years and be too busy because your sheep are all out of control. But it's not until you approach the fire, everything changes. I'm saying everything changes. Because when you encounter God, you just can't help it. Because anything, you get to this place. When you've you've encountered God, and it's different from knowing about God, you've got to understand that. But when you actually encounter God, anything less than his purpose for your life just feels like a complete waste of your time. 
Life is just way too short. You get this understanding of eternity. You get this understanding of what's actually valuable. And the word busy drops out of your vocabulary. So how do you encounter God? How does that happen? Well, the first thing that we see in here is God didn't call Moses until he approached. God won't stop you doing your own thing. I think we got a slide for that. Did we throw the slide up before? Just throw that slide up. I want people to get that burn into our heads. God won't stop us doing our own thing. He never has and he never will. While we're content to herd sheep in the wilderness and view the fire that burns without end from a safe different distance, God is content to just, he'll just keep turning up. Who knows how many other times God turned up in Moses' life? And Moses was just, he was not ready or whatever. God will keep doing that for you until you're brave enough to approach. And the title of this morning's message, as I said, was My Thing, His Thing. And while you're content to do your thing, God will continue to use others to do His thing. Think about it. If you know the story of Esther, that's what um, her, her, uncle, her very wise uncle said to her. And she, was a, she was a princess in, in, um, in sort of Babylon, which became somewhere else. Just lost it for the moment. But she was, it's recorded there, and he said, you know what, Esther, this is your moment to save the world. This is your moment to save your people. This is your moment to save your family. But be aware, be aware. If you're not brave enough to approach the fire, salvation will come just through somebody else. It's right there in the Scriptures. We know this stuff. We know this stuff. While we're content to do our thing, God will continue to use others to do His things. But what you have to understand about Jesus is He keeps turning up. He keeps turning up. Revelation 3.20, throw it up for me, boys. Jesus says this, a revelation, this is Jesus speaking. Verse 20, verse, chapter 3, verse 20, he says this. Look, look, Jesus said. Look, look, it's up there. I stand at the door and knock. Who knows how long he's been out there, by the way. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. What was the difference between Moses and most people? He opened the door. It's as simple as that. It wasn't spectacular. He just walked towards this bush that was on fire. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, don't go on some great quest for me. He says, I'm just here. I'm just going to keep turning up. And if you would just open the door, it's not a big deal. Just open the door. We could be friends. And to be honest with you, church, this morning, that's all God's looking for. That word friends, some of you are struggling with that right now. You don't, you've got to understand, Jesus wants relationship with you. That's all he's been chasing the whole time. We think he wants us to do this over here and that, and that's why we think we're too busy. Jesus just wants relationship. And he's just like, you just open the door. It's all he's looking for. Why is he looking for that? I'll tell you why he's looking for that, because it's so rare. It's so rare. Even in a room like this, it's so rare for people to open the door and say, hey, you know what, God? Yeah, I'm ready for that. I'm actually ready. For, I'm ready to put my thing aside and pursue your thing. I tell you, that's rare. It's really rare. I'll read you. Why does God want us to do that? Why does God want us to put our thing aside so we can do his thing? Why? I'll read you something that the prophet Isaiah wrote about almost 3,000 years ago. But I reckon it's never been more re- relevant than it is today for Jesus followers. 
We're going to read it from, um, he says it a few times. We're going to read it from Isaiah chapter 60. We're going to read from verse 1. Just reflect on this for your personal life. Reflect on this for current events. Reflect on this as if Jesus was here standing here and saying this today. This is God speaking to his people. Rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned. And Yahweh, that's God, God's glory now streams from you. Well, that's interesting. This is what God was saying in the Old Testament. Imagine what, he, well, imagine what this is like in the New Testament. And God's glory now streams from you. Verse 2, look carefully. What? Darkness blankets the earth and thick gloom covers the nations. This could have been on the front page of the news yesterday. But Yahweh God arises upon you and the brightness of his, of his glory appears over you. You're wondering what you've been called to? Verse 3, nations will be attracted to your radiant light. This is God's desire for you. And kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. So this is what God is calling. This is God's thing. Not your thing. This is God's thing. You only get this if you, if you put your thing aside. And verse 4, lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you and believe. For your sons are returning from far away. And your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they all gather together, eager to come back to you. In verse 8, then, then you will understand and be radiant. You know, she didn't understand first. You know, just a thought. Your heart will be thrilled and swell with joy. That sounds cool. The fullness of the sea will flow to you and the wealth of the nations will be transferred to you. You're wondering what God's up. If you wonder what God's thing is for you, there it is. Laid it out. You might be thinking this morning, well, gee, where's my wealth of the nations? You know, I've been on this journey for a while. Well, just really quickly. Real wealth is margin, not income related. I'm going to give you just a quick lesson here. We talk about this a lot here at Life Church, but um, real wealth is margin, not income related. So what do I mean by that? It's margin in our time. Margin in your time. Everyone just was thinking they're too busy. Margin in our finance. This is the godly. This is, this, is, this is living an abundant life. I'm just unpacking it for you right now real quick. Margin in your time, margin in your finances, and margin in your relationships. That is what it is to live the abundant life. If you don't have margin in all these areas, the truth is you aren't prospering. And just for the record, just so you know exactly what I'm saying here, I've known people who are unemployed yet also seem to be completely time poor. That is reverse abundant life. Not only that, I've known people who earn ridiculous amounts of money, like it would take me a decade to spend what they earn in three minutes, and yet live week to week. Think about that. That's not margin. That's not living the abundant life. And I've also known people totally surrounded by family but devoid of relationship. That's not living the abundant life. Could be true, and that can be true in church family as well. Because it's not what you have, it's how you manage it. Throw the slide up for me, gentlemen. It's your culture one. It's not what you have, it's how you manage it. Well, have a look at this again. This is so important. There it is. It is your culture, not your circumstance. I just read this out. That determines your outcome. So don't blame your circumstance. Change your culture. Change your culture. Because in life with God, we can have margin in all those areas. I'm telling you. Some of you don't believe me. It's all right. You don't have to. What's the secret to having that margin? What's the secret to abundant life? Well, here's the thing. What's the secret to getting that sort of culture? What's the secret to having a culture where you have margin? 
What's the secret to that? How do we change our culture from Aussie culture? Or how do I change my culture from Pastor Shane culture to kingdom culture? How do you change whatever culture you come from? Because just an excuse. How do you change that to kingdom culture? How do you get that job done so that you can live the abundant life that God's, that God's called you to? If you're interested in the answer, I'll give it to you really briefly. It's heart. It's all about heart. It's only ever been about heart. Think about the prodigal son if you've heard that story before. So there's this, there's this guy, I'm going to make it really short. There's this guy and he has two sons and one son, he's a very rich man. And one son says, you know, I'd like half of my inheritance. He goes off, spends it all. And the other guy hangs around. So, he's, so the other guy, so there's two sons. One spends all the inheritance and, one, and the other son stays with dad. Now the son that stays with dad, everything that dad owns is now his, right? That's how it works, okay? Because <laughs> the other guy took all his stuff. And so here's the guy. So there's a guy who stayed with dad, right? And this is, this is the heart thing. And when you read the story of the prodigal son, so he he's actually owns everything on the property pretty much. It's all his. It's all his inheritance. It's all for him. And he's resentful and he's bitter and he's ungrateful. What about the prodigal who's now left with nothing? He comes home to his dad and he says, Dad, mate, whatever you've got for me will be okay. He said, I'm just happy to be here. Who, 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 ends up, who ends up enjoying the party? It's the prodigal son. He's got nothing. Because it's all about heart. Because the prodigal had got to a place, just like Moses, we talked about it last week. The, pro, the difference between the prodigal son and his brother was humility. The prodigal son had had an experience which had humbled him. And all of a sudden, he's not bitter. And all of a sudden, he's not ungrateful. Because once you're humble, it's like, God, whatever you have for me, that'll be okay. That'll be better than whatever I was chasing after, whatever I had for myself. He chased everything else, this other guy, the prodigal, who'd spent it all. He chased everything. He ended up with nothing. You know those people. I've had every opportunity in the world. Moses was that. Prince of Egypt. Had everything. Richer than we could even imagine today. Where did that land him? Nowhere. Nowhere. It was all about heart. True humility is your will be done. When David was chosen to be king, he sent this guy, this prophet Samuel. So King David, we talked again, we talked about him briefly last week, but he's a great king of Israel. And, and anyway, Samuel was the prophet and his job was to go and find the king, right? Go find the next king, chief. So off he goes. He goes off looking for the next king. And he comes this group of people and God's like, yep, it's, he's in there. He's in that mix there. And so Samuel goes to this guy and he's, wow, he's full of gifting. He's really muscly. He looks like he would make an awesome king. And in the end, he does it a few times. In the end, God's over it. He goes, his mate, what are you doing? He says, I've never been looking for gifting and I've never been looking for talent. All I've ever been looking for is heart. Well, and, that, and so they end up with a guy who they said later of, of in life in the New Testament, 2,000 years later, speaking of David, it said he had a heart after God. He had a heart after God. He wasn't so busy doing his own thing that he couldn't do God's thing. It's, all been, it's always been about heart. In Isaiah chapter 61, it's the next chapter. Remember we're talking about this thing that was written 3,000 years ago about God's desires for you. He goes on for a whole chapter and then he starts the next chapter. I'm going to read from verse 6 because I just want you to get this into your spirit. But you will be known as priests of Yahweh or priests of God, and you'll be called servants of God. You will feast 
on the wealth of the nations. And you might be thinking again, well, where's it? And revel in their riches. Verse 7 is key. Catch this. Why? It's, there's a because there. Is this up there? Because? Because why? Oh, it's a different one. Verse 7. Because in my version it says, because you received a double dose of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion of endless joy and everlasting bliss. Those eating the wealth of the nations aren't doing so because they got all the lucky breaks. Don't work that way. In my experience, they're inheriting the abundant lives because they kept their heart right despite a double dose of shame and dishonor. And there it is. It's called humility. Moses had it. Prodigal son had it. David had it. And what I want to say this morning is God's made the first step. He's burning right in front of you, just like Moses. And you're sitting there with your sheep all running all over the place, and you've got a choice to make. Do I approach that, or have I just got too much on this week? Well, it's your choice. And we make the right choice generally when our heart's right. The prideful heart will do our thing, and, and the humble heart will do God's thing. So how do, we, how do we make sure our heart's right? Is that a good question? How do you make sure your heart's right? How do we do that? Well, this is going to oversimplify it, but I always think of the big three. Write these down. You could read your Bible. You could pray. You meet together with other Christians. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. And we don't do those things and we wonder why our heart's right and we wonder why we're off track and we wonder why we're doing our own thing. We're too smart, you know, too, too smart to read our Bibles. Too busy to get to the gatherings when they're put on. Too busy to pray. We wonder why our heart's right, not right. How do, I, how do I make sure then, even, you know, how do I make sure that I'm doing God's thing and not my thing? Is that a good, is that a good question? Man, that's the best question. Because we're always distracted by our thing. This is his thing, my thing, right? We're always distracted. So how do we make sure that we're doing God's thing and not my thing? Because I'm always getting off course. I'm always off wandering around chasing my thing. Well, I find the answer to that question, and not to oversimplify it, but I find the best way to make sure that I'm doing God's thing and not my thing is if I just spend a bit of time in the Bible. Maybe, maybe if I read a bit of the Word, the big three. What if I actually prayed a bit? I'm not talking about, you know, 10 seconds before I go to bed or even three hours before I go to bed. I'm talking about what if I had a lifestyle where I just talked to God whenever I needed to? What if I had a lifestyle if I was at work and it wasn't working out for me and I could just have a bit of a yarn to my Creator there for a minute? And what about if I had a lifestyle where I was just, you know, cruising around in my car and had nothing to do and I just decided to just pray in a heavenly tongue for a little bit and just see what God said to me because I was just sitting in my car. What, what if that was my lifestyle? And, and, what if, and what if, you know, I just decided that, you know what, I, I'm pretty busy, but I'll just, you know, the, Pastor Shane always talking about these gatherings and how, how that affects us. What if I was just to get to a small group? What if I was just prioritise a life group? What, what would happen? Well, I would suggest to you this morning that, my experience is that those that embrace these principles aren't asking me th those questions. They're not asking me, Shane, how do I get my heart? They're not asking me, am I doing God's thing or my thing? Because they're immersed in a process that is designed to get us to do God's thing.
to align our will to His. That's what it's designed for. And, you know, our life groups here specifically are designed to help people know how to read the Bible so God will speak to them. The saddest thing I ever heard was a guy who was in church most of his life and we were doing a Bible study, which I don't do anymore. We do these other things because one of the reasons because of what this guy said. He said, I've never heard God speak to me. He can't be serious. Are you serious? God's never given you a direction, talked to you. Because I think sometimes we think it's got to be, got to be you know, coming out of the sky or written on the wall or, or somebody's got to fall over before God's speaking. And I can tell you this morning, you can read the very first word of a verse in the Bible and God will say to you, hey, you know what, I can speak to you anywhere. That's what it is to hear from God. That's what it is from, and, and God can say, you know what, if you're not chained, if you're listening to podcasts or whatever and, God, and, and you're not hearing from me, I don't care where you are, something's wrong and it ain't with me. That's what we're training people in these life groups. The importance of gathering, how to pray. You know, these groups are designed to break us out of our thing and align us as his thing. But I get it, there's a risk in embracing a process like that. There's a big risk. I get it, it's scary. Because imagine being accountable to your peers in asking God what he really thinks of what you're up to. What about if your peers are like, hey, did you read your Bible this week and see what God was saying? It's irrelevant what he was saying. It's just relevant whether you were doing it. This is a pride issue. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing else. It takes real humility. The cost is pride, but the benefit is abundant life that few get to experience. Imagine having margin in your, in your relationships. Can anyone imagine? Can you imagine having margin in your finances? Can you imagine having margin in your time? Throw this next slide up for me, boys. This next slide, throw it up. I'll talk to it when it gets there because this is powerful. This will change your life. Unsuccessful people are motivated by pleasing activity. Successful people are motivated by a pleasing outcome. That's why I read my Bible. That's why I journal. That's why I pray. That's why I gather whenever there's a gathering on, because it creates a pleasing outcome. It creates a pleasing outcome. It's like a marriage. It's like, see, we've got we to put ourselves aside. We've got to say, what, this is my thing, God's thing, whatever. I just want to do God's thing. There's a humility involved. I want to let God be in charge. It's like a marriage where, where you, you won't let go, where the spouses haven't understood yet the power of releasing things to each other. See, controlling's great. It feels safe, but it's exhausting and it's crippling. A lot of us do our spiritual lives that way. We do our faith walk that way. We want to control it all, not release to God. We wonder why we, we, we feel it exhausting and crippling. If that's your journey of faith, you're doing it all wrong. A faith walk isn't exhausting and crippling because we release stuff to God. You've got to believe there's very few things I, I actually have to worry about. Because you just release it to God. It's part of the plan. Simple. When you keep your heart right, I'm just about done. When you keep your heart right, the following thing happens. Listen to this. This might change you. It might be you might, yep, no, that's Shane. Great if that's you. But maybe for some in here this morning, it'll be a revelation. So what we're saying before, oh, you know, I've got to do my thing over here. The sheep are going everywhere. I'm, I'm too busy. I'll come to the fire tomorrow. Well, wait, maybe when, you go, when your heart's right and you're humble, you say, oh, no, I'm just going to approach God. I'm just going to do what God's calling me to in this minute. This is what happens. You sow time you don't have. Ever done that? 
You're so time you don't have, but this is what happens. Remember at the start of the service, we're talking about generosity and how it always comes back. You're so time you don't have, you'll reap time you could never find. You sow finances in faith, you're going to reap financial security. Is that how it works? It takes humility to do this. If you sow unselfishly into relationships, talking about God, I'm talking selfishly in your relationship with God, I'm talking about unselfishly into the relationships of those people around you. If you sow unselfishly into relationships, this is what you reap, people. This is all anybody's ever been looking for. And say it slowly. <laughs> You sow unselfishly into relationships. You reap unconditional love. Everybody in your world, that's all they're chasing. We found it in Jesus. You sow unselfishly into relationships. See, see, here's the thing. And I throw this, this last slide. This is the last slide I think I've got today, but this is a massive. This is, exact, this is what I've been talking about all morning. God can do literally anything with a little, but he refuses, for whatever reason is his, to do anything with nothing. All Moses did was walk towards the bush. That wasn't a big deal. His tired destiny changed forever. But I tell you what, while Moses was sitting on his rock worried about his sheep, nothing changed. God can do literally anything with little. A little bit of time, a little bit of finance, a little bit of unselfishly sowing into people. God will take that and multiply it like you would not believe. But you stay on your rock, that's what you're going to have. Transitioning from my thing to his thing is a massive step. A massive step. Approaching the fire like Moses took guts and it took humility. But I can tell you with absolute certainty that those who have done that, those who have approached God and answered his call, wouldn't have it any other way. Would you stand with me this morning, church? We're going to pray. We're going to pray into this. This is a big deal. I'm going to read you a verse, 1 Corinthians 9. It's a massive deal. So Moses, right, Moses approached the bush, and we've read it a number of times, and maybe your first time here this morning, you read on in chapter 3 of Exodus, you see how Moses' life dramatically changes. There's another guy in the New Testament, Paul. He was killing Christians for a living, not a bad living, way to make a living, killing Christians, that's what he did. Jesus appeared to him personally. He had an encounter with Jesus, and then we read later, he writes this letter to his mates in Corinth. We're, gonna read, uh, we're just going to read a little bit of it. Chapter 9, verse 23, Paul says this, after he's had this encounter with Jesus, I do everything, as I was saying earlier, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You notice that? He said, I do everything to spread the good news, but then he shares in its blessings. Verse 24, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. That's what we're talking about. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win the prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, when I trade in my thing for his thing, which is, again, I understand that. It's a big thing. But when I do that, all of a sudden I'm running with purpose. All of a sudden I'm running with discipline. All of a sudden I'm running to win. So remember, God won't interrupt you doing your thing. If you're happy and content to do your thing, God bless you. But he is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to approach his fire and say, hey, here I am. And he's waiting for you to invite him into your story.
So we're going to pray into that this morning for each one of us. I don't care if you've been in church for a thousand years. Start playing. Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're calling us, just like Moses, you were there. You're calling us into your story constantly. And we're just so often just content to just sit it out. Oh, sit this one out. Imagine if Moses had decided that. Imagine if Paul had decided that. Imagine if David had decided that. Their stories would have been so different. And Jesus, you're interested in our story. You're interested in everybody's story here this morning. And Lord God, I just pray. I just, this, this morning, I'm just going to pray over us all. If you like prayer later, I'll hang around up the front and you can come up for prayer. But I just want to pray for us all because we all get sucked into this. Every single person in this room gets sucked into doing our own thing. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning that you'll just help, help us, give us eyes to see that. Give us eyes to see where we're just doing our own thing. And help us put, you know, take that step towards you. Do that little thing that you can bless. And Lord God, I pray that it comes a hallmark of our church here, that we're, we're prepared to, hey, humble enough to go, hey God, what do you, what do you ask of this? What are you asking me in this situation? Not what I want to do. What are you asking? And Lord God, as we do that, as we do that, I just pray that you'll continue to transform us and change our stories like you did for Moses, who'd, who'd been everywhere, did everything and ended up wherever. You'll change our story into one that makes a difference to others. Into, it's into a story that's, that's there for others, that's rescuing others, that's changing the lives of others, that's changing eternity. Lord, that could be our hallmark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.